The wolves panted heavily. They were looking for an outlet for their nervous energy and started walking down the corridor, their sensitive noses picking up the smell of fear radiating everywhere. That smell stimulated them and made them howl at the storm. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max and Liz. This podcast is brought to you by Playful World Ministries. Max, Liz, and all the characters and adventures of the Epic Order of the Seven were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. On today's episode, we'll hear Chapter 47 from The Ark, The Reed, and The Fire Cloud. Plus, Jenny has another great letter from one of you when we head to Jenny's Corner in just a little bit. Right now, let's give a big shout out to our hosts, Max and Liz. Hey! 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 What's the haps, me brother? Ain't nothing to it. What up, dog? Just hanging, lad. Just hanging. Uh, gentlemen, and I use that term generously, uh, could we, uh, oh, I don't know, invite the rest of the world into your little, uh, whatever that was? <coughs> sure, lass. Hey, yo, a big shout out to all me peeps. All your what? Me peeps, lass. Me peeps. Uh, peeps is a colloquial term for the common North American tree frog called peepers, or peeps for short, which is also the word used to describe the sounds that emanate from those tree frogs. The word peeps is an onomatopoeia. It's a tomato what? Tomato? I, I thought peeps were those marshmallow chicks that you find in Easter baskets. We said too, onomatopoeia is a word which, when you say it, creates a sound effect that imitates the thing you describe. Huh? Like the word bell. When you ring a bell, it sounds like bell, bell. Oh, that's kind of cool. But I think I'll stick with the marshmallow chicks. Aye, and I'll not be putting them on me tomatoes neither. Uh, you two are starting to scare me. Anyway, I... We're not scary, lass. I'm just a wee doggy. Ooh! And I'm just a wee announcer, lad. Ooh! Oh, brother. I wasn't literally afraid of you. It was just an expression. I was merely being facetious. Being what? Being facetious. Ah, there she goes with another big word there. See, that's what scares me, lass. You and your big fancy words. Really? Aye. Oh, contraire, Max. I happen to know what... Really scares you? No, Kitty. Hmm? I thought we agreed that were a secret. Hmm. Monsieur Announcer? Oh, boy. Sorry, Max, but... Chapter 47. Max's Secret. Kate, Liz, Al, and the Seagulls looked everywhere for Max. They didn't know where he could have gone, so they asked animals all along the way. No one had seen him. They decided to split up to cover more ground. Kate searched the upper deck with Crinan and Bethu, while Liz took the middle and Al the lower deck. They found many nervous animals, but no Max. Liz walked along the middle corridor, looking for Max while also studying the animals and their reaction to the flood. Some were hiding. Some were huddling, some were eating, and a couple of them were actually sleeping. Liz stopped to chat with Boomer, the kangaroo, who was never at a loss for words. I don't mean to knock them, but here we are in this rip-snorter of a stem, and those koalas are out like a light. There, resting comfortably on the eucalyptus trees that grew in their stall, were the two koalas, 
sound asleep. Fascinating, mon ami. I wonder if there is some substance in that plant to make them sleep. I don't know, but those two missed most of our trip here from down under. Sheila even carried them in a pouch for part of the way, since they were asleep. It was a pretty spiffy way for them to travel, Boomer continued, scratching his backside as he spoke with Liz, his loud voice echoing in the stall. Uh, merci, Boomer. I shall see you later, no? Liz said as she continued down the ark, knowing she needed to keep searching. She headed for the rainforest. Yeah, no worries. Ta-da! Boomer replied as Liz walked away. He turned to eat some grass, winking at Sheila, who was sitting down, obviously nervous from the storm. Aw, oh, chin up, love. This storm can't last forever, and I'm here to protect you. Sheila smiled, glad that Boomer was there with her. Liz, there you are. Now don't you go disappearing too. Kate and me can't find Max. She went with the girls back to our stall, and I came to find you, Les, said Al, jumping up to where Liz sat. She stopped in the corridor when she came upon the beaver stall. Bogart had set up a workshop. There were piles of wood all over his stall. Bogart had met a beautiful female beaver named Bev on the way from Canada. She greeted Liz just as Liz jumped up on the railing for a better look. Al joined her on the rail. So, where is Max, the hero? Bev asked, concerned. Uh, we aren't sure. He was with us when the storm began, and then all of a sudden he was gone. Liz replied, a wrinkle on her brow. She felt badly that her research distracted her from looking for Max. She needed to get back on track to find him. Liz watched Bogart nervously select a chunk of wood and with rapid speed carve a figure with his front teeth as he stared at Al. What is he making? Liz asked Bev. A little of everything. All this thundering noise outside the ark has got him worked up, eh? Bev replied. I know what you mean, lass. I'm just about as terrified as a kitty can get, Al replied, holding his paws up over his ears. Bogart nodded and handed the carved figure to Al. It was a figure of a fat cat, the spitting image of Al. What a handsome kitty, Al said with glee. Mais oui, Liz replied. He is a busy beaver, no? Bev leaned in and whispered, A little bit bipolar, too. Just then the thunder crashed above them, causing the ark to vibrate again. The rain pelted the ark so loudly that the animals could only imagine what it was like outside. Suddenly they heard the wolves howl in response to the storm. Liz and Al looked at one another, fresh fear rising up in them. If the wolves were freely roaming the ark, and Max was missing, there could be trouble. It was well known that the wolves held a grudge against Max for leaving them behind on the shore of England. And from what Liz had observed... Max had some long-standing issue with wolves. Something had happened long ago that made Max dislike wolves, but he would not tell her what it was. Liz wrinkled her brow, concerned. The wolves could be out of their stall. This situation is growing serious. I think it would help if we enlisted more animals to help in our search for Max. Albert, let's find Rudy and Rosie to help. I know a pair of red howler monkeys who can swing quickly from the trees, 
to look for him. I'll go see them and spread the word, Bev said. She turned and looked at Bogart, who was busy chewing another carved figure. He won't even know I'm gone. Merci, Bev, Liz said. I am grateful for your help. Okay, and don't worry about the wolves, eh? We'll find Max. He means a lot to the animals here, said Bev, smiling. Merci, mon ami, Liz said, smiling back as Bev turned to head in the other direction. Liz and Al wandered down the ark, continuing their quest. The terrifying thunder clapped again. They hoped they would find Max soon. The wolves panted heavily. The stench of their breath overtook the air with a foul odor. Restless, they jumped out of their stall when the thunderclaps seemed exceptionally close. They were looking for an outlet for their nervous energy and started walking down the corridor, their sensitive noses picking up the smell of fear radiating everywhere. That smell stimulated them and made them howl at the storm. The lightning flash could be seen through the windows above and lit up the corridor. They took off running, filled with the thrill of the hunt. Shem's hands trembled as he lit the oil lamp in the storage room. He shivered from the cold that engulfed him. His clothes were wet and he was soaked to the bone. But the coldness in his heart was far worse. His friend was drowning outside and there was nothing he could do about it. Shem was drowning too, in despair, borne by helplessness. He knew he should be with his family right now. Nala was certainly frightened by all that was happening, and he should be there to comfort her. But Shem needed some time alone to grieve for Avi and to regain his composure. He couldn't comfort Nala, much less anyone else, in his emotional state. This storage room was a quiet place where he could wrestle with his emotions in private. Shem pulled off his wet tunic and threw it on the floor, causing something to scuffle in the corner. He squinted as his eyes adjusted to the low light of the oil lamp. There, panting in the corner, was a little black dog. The tunic had landed on him, and he jumped away from it, clearly frightened. There, there. It's okay, little fella. I'm sorry I scared you. What are you doing in here? Shem said as he went over to Max. He reached over to softly pet Max, who was shaking. Uh, you too? You're shivering like me. Come on. Maybe we can warm each other. Shem grabbed a blanket and placed it on the floor next to Max. He sat down, leaning his back on the wall, and patted the blanket. Max came over to sit next to Shem, his head down and ears pulled back, and his eyes full of fear. Shem gently patted Max's head, and Max slowly lay down, resting his head across Shem's knee. Shem put his arm over Max, his hand gently stroking the frightened dog. The two sat there in silence for a long time. They listened to the rain outside pound and the wind roar. But here in this storage room, there was an odd comfort with one another. This man and dog couldn't communicate all they were feeling, but they felt a mutual bond nonetheless. Perhaps the true source of the comfort came from the knowledge that they weren't alone. I lost my best friend today, Shem finally said, his lip trembling with emotion. He was a good person, 
but he lost his way and wouldn't listen to me about God. I tried to help him, but I failed. Shem shook his head. Listen to me, talking to a dog about this. I don't suppose you've ever lost your best friend, have you? How could you understand what I'm feeling? Max lifted his head and just looked at Shem, his soulful eyes trying to communicate that, yes, he did indeed understand. He was feeling the same emotions right now about Gilliman. But on top of the grief, Max also felt fear. Aye, I do know the grief you feel. But do you understand the fear I have from the storm? How could you understand what I've been through? Max thought to himself, wishing he could communicate with Shem. Max lowered his head and gave a big sigh. Too bad humans couldn't communicate intelligently with animals. And humans didn't seem to be fearful of thunder and lightning. It was nice to have someone share in the grief, but he wished there was someone to share in his fear also. Best friends can bring the worst pain when things go wrong between you. Sometimes I wonder if it was worth it, having friendships that went from joy to pain. Especially Avi. Oh, Avi. Shem continued to say aloud as he petted Max. Maybe you could be my new best friend, little fella. I bet you'd never hurt me or reject me. Max pondered all that Shem said. He never had a friend turn on him before, so he didn't really understand how Shem must feel. He could only imagine how badly it would hurt. Max was glad to sit by and be a comfort to this sad human. And although Shem didn't understand that it was Max's first time to experience a thunderstorm without Gilliman, he eased the frightened dog just with his presence. Perhaps Max could be this man's best friend and in turn, gain a new friend himself. Shem and Max jumped when they heard the wolves howl. The sound grew closer. Max looked up at Shem, who rose to his feet, saying, Sounds like those wolves are out of their stalls. I better go check. I've been in here too long. Maybe we both better get back to our mates. Shem gathered his tunic and shook it out before slipping it back over his head. He squatted down by Max and patted his head. But do what you wish, little fella. If you feel safe in here right now, just stay. With that, Shem left the storage room to go check on the wolves. Max decided he should head back to Kate. He felt ashamed that he had left her alone during the flood. He shook his head, feeling like a coward. He left the storage room and headed down the corridor. He didn't trot. He slowly walked, wishing he had someone to talk to. Max came to the wading pool on the south side of the waterfall. The waterfall had become the most popular spot on the ark. The pool had marsh grass with a warm tropical climate. But next door, on the north side of the waterfall, a winter wonderland had formed when the penguins and walruses moved in. It was complete with flat slabs of ice, frozen water slides, caves, and, of course, snow. Normally, the Arctic animals were out having fun, sliding on the ice, or even having snowball fights. But everything was unusually still on the north and south sides of the waterfall at the moment. Max guessed that everyone was hiding from the storm. 
Max had to regain his composure before he saw Kate and the others again. He plopped down next to the water and stared at its glassy surface. Come on, laddie, snap out of this, Max thought to himself as he gazed into the still water. The surface of the water was suddenly disturbed with movement. Max stood up, the fur on his back raised as he watched a ripple zigzagging in his direction. A low growl came in Max's throat. Not until the ripple came to the muddy bank did the cause of the rippled water become clear. It was Charlie the snake. Sorry to startle you, Max, Charlie said as Max backed up. I don't think I told you that I'm a chameleon snake. I forget how I blend in with my surroundings and sometimes I startle others. Max let out a breath of relief. Uh, you done startled me, Charlie. I wondered what were making the water ripple then. Everyone is looking for you, said Charlie. Where have you been? Max looked at the ground. I've been hiding. Hiding from what, Max? Charlie asked. The storm? Yes. This is the scariest one I've ever seen. The snake shivered as he considered the fierceness of the storm. You're scared too? Max asked, looking up at Charlie. I'm just so ashamed. Everyone thinks I'm such a hero, and there I were, hiding in the storage room. What kind of hero does that? Max shook his head, standing up with his tail dropped behind. We all have fears, Max. I don't think there's an animal on board the ark who isn't scared right now. Even heroes have fears, Charlie replied, trying to lift Max's spirits. Gilliman were always with me when I got scared from storms. But me fear goes deeper than just thunder and lightning, Max explained. Something happened long ago when I were a puppy. It were the night Gilliman saved me. Go on, Max. Tell me what happened. It sounds like you need to talk, encouraged Charlie. Max sat back down and told Charlie all about how he ran from storms as a puppy, the night his mom disappeared, the night the wolves chased him, and how Gilliman saved him. It's kind of like me secret, Charlie. I've never told anyone this before. Gilliman were the only one who knew the truth. That's why I didn't want to leave the glen when the fire cloud came. I knew more storms would come, and I wouldn't have Gilliman to help me. Max said, feeling a release in his spirit from telling his secret. I see. I'm so sorry for what happened to you as a puppy, Max. It must be a hard burden to bear, knowing what happened to your mother. I don't blame you for not wanting to leave Gilliman and the Glen. Did he give you any advice as you left on how to handle your fear? Asked Charlie, a look of concern in his eyes. Well, he told me to turn to the Maker for help. He also said that the Maker could use me fears for me good if I let him, Max replied. Charlie got a confused look on his face. That's hard to do, I'm sure. The All-Knowing One is the creator of everything, including this storm. He's causing the very thing that brings you fear. So I can understand how hard it must be to turn to him at a time like this. 
The snake pulled himself further up onto the bank of the wading pool, close to Max. I don't understand what Gilliman said about him using your fear for good. I must not be bright enough to understand, but I don't see how fear is ever a good thing, Charlie said, not really knowing how to encourage Max, but trying to just sympathize with his pain. Why don't you come in the water, Max? It feels fine, and maybe it will soothe you. I Gilliman said lots of things that were over me head and take a lot of thinking. And Charlie, along with the storms, there's another fear I have, as long as I'm telling you me secret, Max said, wanting to confide in his new friend. Charlie's head turned up, his brow wrinkled in question. Oh, what's that, Max? I can't swim. I almost drowned the night the wolves chased me in the storm, and I never learned to swim. So water scares me to death, Max said, relieved to get that off his chest. Somehow sharing his weakness with this new confidant helped lift the burden of carrying it silently. Oh, Max, but look how brave you were to overcome that fear. You figured out a way to cross the seas without swimming. And it was your idea that spread to help me and thousands of other animals to reach the ark, said Charlie excitedly, getting Max to lift his gaze as he listened. Maybe that's how me fears were used for good, Max observed. Maybe that's what Gilliman meant. I think you're right, Max. I hope that makes you feel better. You see, you figured that out on your own. You figured it out. You're smarter than you think, my friend. So I'm sure you'll figure out a way to deal with the fear of storms on your own, too. Charlie said, slipping back into the water. And I'm sure you can overcome your fear of swimming, too. Maybe I could teach you if you join me in the pool, but later. Now, what do you say you get back to Kate and the others so they won't worry anymore about you? Okay, Charlie, I will. And you won't tell anyone me secret, will you? Max said as he got up to leave the wading pool. Don't worry, my friend. Your secret is safe with me. But you might want to tell your friends. I think you'd find them accepting you just as you are, Charlie said, smiling at Max as he turned to walk down the corridor. Max somehow felt a little better. He had two new friends who had helped him today, Shem and Charlie. Maybe he was smarter than he thought. The lightning lit up the sky overhead and the thunder crashed. Max ducked as he walked along the corridor. Then he raised his head. He'd find a way to overcome this fear of storms, and maybe even his fear of swimming. He had to. He couldn't run and hide every time this happened. Gilliman wasn't there anymore, and it was time he grew out of these fears. Yes, he would find a way to deal with his secret fear and be done with it once and for all. Aye, it sure did feel good to tell a couple of friends about me fears. As long as they really are good friends. But you know, sometimes it is hard to talk about our fears and weaknesses, even to friends, even good friends. Aye, it can be kind of embarrassing to talk about being scared or weak, and it can be risky. 
because we don't want them to think less of us now, do we? So we just close it all in and let it keep on scaring us the next time around. And that is why we need a friend who will never embarrass us or think less of us. Someone we can tell anything we want, and he will love us no matter what. <laughs> uh, you're, you're talking about the maker, then? Très bien, of course. He gave us his son, Jesus, to be our saviour and to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Aye, so you can trust him with anything. Just talk to him and make good friends with him, because he's already the best friend you could ever have. It's like the old song says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs and scary things to bear. <laughs> what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Well then, here's something that's always a privilege to do. Take a trip to Jenny's Corner. Hey, Max and Liv. Greetings, Miss Jenny. What's that you've got for us today then? This is a very special letter that I received via email in uh, July 29th, 2014 from Will. And he writes, Dear Jenny, your books are great. My son Chris wants me to read them to him every night. Chris loves your characters and how they are animals, which helps him connect with them. Your messages in the book are great for kids to understand. Every night after I read him a chapter, he always asks me about it. It's got him to want to know more about God, and it has in turn wanting him to know more about Jesus. I want to thank you for this. We are on the second go-around after we finished the books already, and then he said, How does she come up with this? I told him that God leads her. This has helped us with talking about Jesus. When I asked what he wanted for his sixth birthday, he said, I want this, and handed me a Bible. He said, The books have inspired me. Wow. He asked me to get your new book when it comes out, and I think they have really helped me find a way to talk to Chris about Jesus and God. He drew a picture, but the cat tore it up. <laughs> Thank you, and hope you do not ever lose the flame. Oh, that just means so much to me. When I hear a parent connect with a child, and it leads to discussions about God and Jesus and faith, and leads them to want to read the Bible for themselves. That's why I write every book. And you'll notice in the front of the book, I always say this is a work of fiction based on truth. For the real story, go see. And for the biblical ones, I list the Bible books there. So thank you for your inspiration. As long as I keep hearing from readers like this, this will fuel my pen and keep the flame alive. So thank you so much for writing. And I hope to hear from you sometime. You can drop me a line at Jenny at epicorderofthe7.com. Ah, uh, thanks, lass. Keep that flame alive. Though it's a pity that the cat tore up his picture like that. Well, I'm sure she didn't mean... Because usually it's us dogs get blamed for stuff like that. Where's your homework, lad? Uh, me dog ate it. Ha 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 ha. Finally, a cat gets blamed. The kitty was probably being harassed by a dog and took it out on the picture. Poor kitty. Eh, uh, whatever. Once again, you can email Miss Jenny at jenny at epicorderofthe7.com. You can even send her an audio message on your phone, and we could maybe play it on a future episode. Aye, and with email and such, you never have to worry about your cat chewing it up. <laughs> you just aren't going to let that one go, are you, Max? <laughs> Fine, then we should just wrap things up right now. Monsieur Denis? 
Ooh, better do what she says. I sure wouldn't want her to chew me out. <laughs> Good one, lad. I am the only grown-up in the room. Okay, fine. I will end the show. Give me your script. Hey, 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 wait. Give me, give me that. <clears throat> on our next episode, the rain continues to pour down on all of our friends, but how long must it last? Join us next time as we count the days while making a racket. See you then. Hey, good job, Liz. Merci. Can I have my script back? Of course not. I'm a bit hungry and, well, you know how we kitties love to chew up papers. That is disgusting. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're not going to eat it then? Oh, here, Max. <laughs> Thank you. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, and the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud was written by Jenny L. Cody. To purchase your copy of The Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud on audiobook, log on to audible.com. And for all the amazing books by Jenny L. Cody, the entire collection of The Epic Order of the Seven, log on to Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. That's epicorderofthe7.com. See you next time on The Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thanks for joining us. Have a grand day!